Hello and welcome back to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you'll know that the first ever episode was with a researcher from the Durham Infancy and Sleep Centre at Durham University. And in that episode, I spoke to a brilliant academic who talked us through the history of sort of basically from cry it out to wait it out and how we kind of got where we are today and the sort of past 100, 150 years of um, attitudes to infant sleep. And so you might have come across the work they do at Durham University via Professor Helen Ball, who's one of the leading voices on infant sleep we have in the world. She's incredible. And they also run Basis, which is a fantastic website. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's basisonline.org.uk. And that's the baby sleep info source. And as you can imagine, it is full of completely evidence-based exceptionally well researched and clear information and they have lots and lots of resources for both parents and for professionals working with parents healthcare etc so I was really really thrilled today that I can introduce my guest which who is another of uh, Durham's fantastic academics, uh, the social cultural anthropologist and sleep specialist Lenka Medvechkova Tinkova, who spoke to me from her native Czech Republic, and we got to speak about language and sleep and cultural expectations, particularly how the language that we have uh, shapes how we then view normal infant behaviour. And I was very grateful that Lenka could also share with me her story of how she became so passionate about normal infant sleep and studying it at PhD level and how our different cultural expectations do influence parenting practices today in both, um, well, all across Europe and the world as well. So I am such a geek about this stuff. I find it so interesting to think about all of the different approaches all over the world and how it just you know we're also influenced by our particular communities and cultures and sometimes it's just nice to zoom out and look at actually what does the rest of the world say okay yes in my world I might have certain people who believe that babies and toddlers should sleep in a very specific way but what if I had been raised in a completely different culture what would what would I think of then you know what is it like to parent a child in a world where there is no word for co-sleeping because it is just normal and everyone is sleeping they don't have the language to talk about different sleep spaces or bedtime where there is no word for self-settling there is no expectation for self-settling all of those things so uh, I'm really excited to to to, um, share the interview today but before we do I just wanted to do a quick reminder that if anyone is looking for more information or sleep support I do have a full range of guides and webinars are on my website now. Again, the links are in the show notes. I've got two fully comprehensive sleep guides, one for 0 to 18 months, which kind of covers you everything you need to know basically for the first year and a half of your baby's life, as well as any um, changes you want to make, strategies, troubleshooting guides, etc. And then I have the toddler guide, which is suitable from one to three. And that again is a kind of a one-stop shop covering all of the challenges that we face 
as our children get older and their sleep needs shift and evolve. So if you have any questions, please get in touch about those. And I'll also be running some new webinars uh, at the end of the summer, early September uh, as well. But um, yeah, without further ado, here's the interview with Lenka. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality secondhand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com, to sign up today. I just want to say welcome to the podcast, Lenka. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about you, you and your work. And um, But if anyone uh, hasn't come across your work before do you want to give a little introduction to who you are and what you do um yes so if uh, I already finally <laughs> created my Instagram in the English language so if anyone would be interested about my research or work they can find me there as a sleep anthropologist on Instagram and so my name is Lenka Mekveso-Atinkova I'm a medical anthropologist and PhD student at Durham University and I work for Durham Infancy Sleep Center under the supervision of uh, Professor Helen Paul. and my research focus consists of the co-sleeping, sleep of toddlers, infant sleep and different practices of parents regarding to sleep around the world and also Uspavani, which is the main topic of my research nowadays. And it's about the different practices, how to help guide children to fall asleep. Yes. Thank, well, yeah, it's so, it, I mean, you are, you're, I think your career just sounds fascinating. And <laughs> um, we had uh, one of your colleagues from uh, the Durham Infancy Sleep Centre on the podcast two years ago now for the first ever episode. And I just, yeah, I, I just think, uh, the work that comes out of obviously um, that space is 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 fascinating and so important and um, yeah Helen Paul is obviously a brilliant voice to have in the world talking about normal infant sleep yes she's great she's but she's not only great researcher she's also great person as well oh that's good to know <laughs> and so um, how did you how did you become interested in infant sleep what's what's your story to get here Okay, uh, would you like to have the short version of the <laughs> long one? Um, actually, surprisingly, uh, in my early 20s, my career started in the journalism. And um, as a journalist, I moved for one year with my husband to the UK, and I was a foreign correspondent for Czech Republic and Slovakia. And at that time, uh, also my first child was born. It was 11 years ago. And I felt um, big pressure there for sleep training. But as far as I remember from my childhood, my mother always helped me to fall asleep. And I always have someone close to me when I feel that I need it. 
So I didn't feel that it's right for me to use sleep training. But as a new mother, I was so scary. And I heard that it's not healthy to um, help child to fall asleep. And I should teach her uh, to fall asleep alone and everything. And uh, it was from medical authorities. So I really doubt myself if my instincts are right. So as um, the journalist, with my journalistic soul, I was searching for more information because I wasn't satisfied with what I read. And I found the research from the James McKenna anthropologist from the USA and Helen Ball, and it brought me so big relief that what I feel is right and my instincts are right and my memories from childhood are okay and I can have my child child to fall asleep and they and she will become very independent anyway because I did as well and um, so I created a web page that time for parents who struggled the same way as me um, for Czech parents and it was about sleep and um, I was writing about my new findings and I read a lot of articles and studies uh, from different parts of the world from anthropologists and I got fascinated with this uh, field so when we came back to the Czech Republic I applied for a um, master degree in anthropology and I obtained my degree in sociocultural and um, biological anthropology and then did my first uh, research about normal infant sleep perception in the Czech Republic and in Czech parent. And I also uh, became certified lactation consultant and work in the families. And in the families, I found that it's not enough just to speak with them and that we need somebody who will educate professionals, health professionals about the new findings we have, for example, from anthropology also about infant sleep. So I decided that I would like to go to this academic road and go more in depth to the, more in depth to the research. I organized a symposium for health professionals where I invited Helen Ball from the UK. And when I discussed with her personally about her research and about the Ramin Fancy Sleep Center, I just uh, feel that this is the right place I would like to research. And I applied for the postgraduate uh, research program in the Infancy and Sleep Center. I got approved and now um, uh, working remotely in the Czech Republic for Durham University, I do research there. And yeah, and uh, the about the anthropological point of view, I love uh, anthropology because uh, we can or we used to look at the different activities of our lives from so many different angles, and I I think that sleep is the activity which need these because um, there is not only the time of the sleep or the hours we need to sleep, but there are other consequences. There are other things like we need to know about sleep. It's the family we live in, it's the lifestyle we live in, and everything is so important for sleep, for calm sleep, that we should use more um, multi-methodological met multi approaches when we research sleep and anthropology helped me to do that in this way yeah it's fascinating and so important and um and did you have an, any other children back in the, in, in the Czech Republic or 
Uh, yeah, I am now expecting the third child now. Oh, congratulations. Yes. So I have two daughters. One is uh, 10 year old, uh, 11. Sorry, she will be 11 in one month. 11 year old and the uh, second one is six. Now in September, I'm due in September and I will have the minor child. So was it diff- was it a very different experience than having your second daughter? Um, well, I suppose in, in the Czech Republic, but also knowing so much more about what was normal um, for her sleep and that you, you were sort of, um, I guess, allowed, I put that in like quotation points, but allowed to follow your instincts and support her sleep. And I think that... Um... Um, because I have these experiences because I was a very sensitive child and I really needed contact, physical contact uh, during the sleep and the evening with my parents. So it was easier for me, even with the first one. When I found the Helen Ball research and I just read it, it's okay, it's not harmful to help children to fall asleep. I just really easily followed my instinct to and continue to hold her or her as she wanted. So uh, I have these experiences that even though I was always with someone when I was a child and I always, my mother always helped me to fall asleep. I'm still independent. Yeah. <laughs> and I live without my mother and I'm not co-sleep with her yeah. in my thirties. So I have this, and it is important to know that I know that I, I had this approach from my mother and it was fine. Um, and also I think that with the second child, uh, people or parents are more calm because they already know what to expect. Um, it's not that new as with the first child and we are not that scary from what is going to happen and what how it will be and everything. So um, I think it was much more easy, not not because of the Czech Republic or because we, but also because because the second child maybe you you will feel the same when you will have the second child that you already know that it's okay to have your baby you don't need to read it that it's okay because you experienced it with your first one you experienced that it have it will change in a few months and you know how how fast uh, the sleep challenges changing in their lives so it's a really big relief for parents with the second and the third child and the fourth child but there is all there is always something new they can bring you <laughs> even though they are the second or third one so with the second child I we have the new challenges which we needed to face but I still think that uh, parenting is very important role and we can learn so many things in parenting about ourselves, our emotions, and we can grow as adults as well with our children. Yeah, there's different lessons, I suppose, at every every stage. Yeah, yeah. And um, how would you sum up, I suppose, <laughs> it's quite a big question, but the attitudes towards infant sleep in, in the Czech Republic, do you feel like, yeah it's really interesting that you had your first in the UK and that you encountered um Mm -hmm. you know that sort Mm -hmm. of pressure 11 years ago but yeah how what what's it like being a first-time mum or a new mum where you are now uh I think that the main difference is that that uh, 
um, the sleep training business really doesn't exist in the Czech Republic. Like there are authorities or there are pediatricians or some consultants uh, um, or psychologists who think that uh, um, Estivil method is fine uh, or who advise parents to cry it out, but we don't have really someone who speak in the media or um, we don't, or you you don't see this in the movies and TV series in Czech Republic. The sleep training is not that common discussed uh, in the society. Like what I see in, in, uh, in the UK or in the USA, in the TV series, in, uh, in different movies and in advertising everywhere, um, every, everywhere it was about the sleep training and it was so common that I thought it's the only thing they, the parents use there, but it's not true, but it seems like because it's everywhere where you where you as a parent gather. And this is not um, the same in the Czech Republic, but um, I would say that um, infant sleep and toddler sleep wasn't very the interesting topic in the society here so we have we, we don't have special guidelines for safe co-sleeping or safe sleep what is not very positive we should change it and we should have this sleep uh, sleep safety for co-sleeping and bed sharing but also the positivity is that you can choose um whether or what what suits you as a family and you don't have this pressure from the media and around and it depends on uh, your friends and your mother experiences. And another thing is that what I can see in my research, that we have also different practices in, in here, but cried out and helping children to fall asleep are, I can say also both are popular. Like it's normal when you meet some grandparents who help children to fall asleep and who co-sleep and bed share. And you also may um, find grandmothers who uh, let the child cry down, but without any method, just she she felt that it's fine or she just got the advice from someone. And I need to say that also we have difference in the maternity leave because we have paid maternity leave for three years. So if we want, we can stay at home for years with the child. It's very common. Uh, only a very few percentage of mothers go back to the work before the two years uh, of the child. Two wow. years of age. I need to pick my like my jaw up off the floor when you say that. Like three years maternity leave. That's mm, yes, yeah, that's so, amazing. So yeah, so. Um, I think that uh, we don't have this pressure to fix the sleep very soon or for in the first year of age of the child. So maybe that's the answer why we don't have so strong uh, sleep training business here because there was there wasn't a need to fix the problem very fast, and we have time <laughs> to to try what worked for us. So uh, that's also a big difference. And also this uspavani, as I mentioned already, because it's a special term which refers to practices, different practices of parents. And the main point is that it's practice where the, the parent is in presence with the child until the, until the child falls asleep 
close eyes and fall asleep. And it can be different. It can be emotional or physical support, can be active or passive. For example, in English, there is many different sentences for this. For example, rock to sleep, breastfeed to sleep, or reading to sleep, or holding baby till the baby falls asleep. And we have this in one word. When we say it means that we are there somehow helping the child to fall asleep. And I didn't find the equivalent in, in, in English, but I found equivalents in many different uh, languages. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, in my article, uh, in my and Helen's article in the Sleep Health Journal, we explained how important it is for sleep research to taking this into account, that there may be some words which are understood differently in different countries. For example, with the uspavani, it's the word bedtime. Because when you say bedtime, in the, for example, in, in the USA or in the UK, or when I read about bedtime description in sleep research, from these countries, there is written that bedtime rituals are um, rituals which are 20 or 30 minutes before the child um, fall asleep alone. So it's activities before. But in Czech Republic, when you ask about bedtime rituals, it consists also activities um, to help child fall asleep and to be there and be in presence with the children until the child falls asleep completely. So when we do research, and if we don't have this in mind, how parents uh, think about bedtime, we can have very um, bad data because we, we are not sure what they meant by bedtime in Czech Republic and what they mean it in, in the USA. So um, we are trying to discuss this and we are trying to implement uh, this word uspavan into the sleep research so we can explore it in different countries because I don't think that only the Czech people do that. <laughs> I think that a lot of other countries in uh, uh, so-called Western societies do help children to fall asleep and they're taking it as a norm, but uh, because we don't have enough data, we don't know yet uh, how it works there and what are the motivations of the parents and so on and so on. But instead of that, I saw um, in um, some dictionary from the USA that uh, the presence of parents is diagnosed as some sleep pathology. Yeah. And I was so upset because uh, instead of exploring something what is very common in many different countries, we shouldn't just label it as a sleep pathology without any other information or without trying to explore how it works, why it works, who do that, how they do that, and what it brings to the parents and what it brings to the children. And that's why I do this research about this pavanian. I combine uh, different methodologies, also active actigraphies, um, online, online questionnaire, focus groups, interviews, ethnography, to go really in into that inspiring what it brings not only to child but to the family and to the parents to explain that maybe it's important uh, not to judge something before we know more about it mm. so wow there's so I could ask you so many different questions about what you've just said I think um 
I, yeah, I always, I, I think it's, um, it is, it is strange when you think about it that that for so many parts of of Western culture, this gold standard of parenting is being able to leave a room and have a child, a very young child, fall asleep on their own. Where did that, where did that come from? Like when, how did we get here? <laughs> Oh, that's difficult questions <laughs> because there is many. Thirty seconds go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm. The the thing why I think that cried out should be completely erased from the language is that it became popular in the time in at the beginning of twenty and the end of the nineteenth century in the USA from the people who really wasn't very experienced in parenting and they were physiologists and they just created um, guides to implement infants and children to to work of the adults. And also it was in time when we didn't know very much about uh, sleep at all, about infant sleep and about differences between the um, infant toddler sleep and between the sleep of adults. So we didn't have enough information to say that cried out, it's okay. And we didn't have enough information that it's really okay for development of the child. And also uh, because um, the cried out is really against our instincts. We now already have research which um, says that um, we are really, as a mother, tuned to the baby's cry. And we are very sensitive when we hear cry. And it's not because we should ignore it. It's because we should learn from it. We should uh, try to explore why the child cry. And we should try to find out what are the signals of the child. And we teach and we learn uh, about the children and about the infants from the infant from the children because every child is different and has different needs and we cannot learn from the guides but from the child we have at home so we should more follow this instinct and watch the signals instead of ignore them or try to train a child to something we should firstly know the child very good before we do something like that. So, and I, I don't judge parents because it's very difficult in these times. It's so difficult to follow the instinct because everything is so far away from the, from the instinct and from the nature. And we have to think about so many things like, uh, for example, to choose the right um, diet, which is healthy for the child to use the right materials for sleep, the right bed and everything. And there's so many stress now in, in our lifestyle, in our life. And there's so many different information around parents. And it's so difficult to just uh, listen what your heart or what your gut says to you. So what I think is that we really, as a scientist and the professionals should work more hard um, and to explore before judge and really explore with the, the scientific soul to know better, not to say be, because you breastfeed 
uh, on demand or because you help children to fall asleep, the child will wake more. But to explore how it works, what is the physiology of sleep when you breastfeed or what is uh, or how it is in different countries and what they what is their perception of sleep or uspavani and so on. So I think that it's our turn now as a professional and scientist to change these myths about the infant sleep and toddler sleep and to go back to the um, beginning and to start really explore with the curiosity and not with the judgmental point of view. Yeah. Do you think that in places like the UK and the US, do you think that sleep training is becoming more or less popular over maybe the last 10 years or, the, or this current generation, I suppose, of, of first-time parents? I think that this uh, question you you know better than me <laughs> because you live in that culture yeah and i i do research uh, in the um, czech republic now but uh from abroad as i see or as i try to uh, read and watch the articles different articles um from uh, the usa and uk i see that i i think that the attachment parenting is more now on, on its rise that I can see that there is and I can find more articles about the normal infant sleep than before when I lived in the UK and now when I if I would now have the first child in the UK I definitely would find more support than 11 years ago I feel it like that because I see many web pages which are very nice and explaining the normal infant or toddler sleep and also um, discuss co-sleeping and safe bed sharing. So I think that we are uh, um, that we are getting there everywhere <laughs> and we're moving forward to the normal expectations, but it will take time. Yeah, yes, yeah. Certainly, you know, I had my first child four years ago and I think it's it looks very different in that time period, even in, you know, because of the way that technology evolves and changes. And um, that's the thing, isn't it? Technology is changing so fast all the time. It's yes. hard. It must be hard as, a, as an academic to keep up with like such crazy advancements. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. Yes. Um, but I think I think you're right about... Um, to focus on the the medical um advice though because I certainly something I see a lot with with families is that they felt like they were okay they'd found what was working for them with their child's sleep they'd sort of accepted where they were and what was normal and then they might have an appointment with uh, a medical professional who will then tell them oh actually your child shouldn't be feeding in breastfeeding at night in this age or um yeah co-sleeping is dangerous or um they should be sleeping 12 hours a night at one year and yeah that 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 uh, a, a person with authority and you know that you respect and that you are um looking for advice from telling you that can really make you question I suppose whether you are doing it right yes sure that's the main point yeah, yeah. because um we, we as a parent have a really a big fear for the health of our child. Yeah. And if health professional not support your parenting style, just say it's not right and it's not healthy, it's really difficult for the parents to 
not to be afraid or to stay confident in this situation. That's why we are trying to discuss more also this uh, parental present during the falling asleep, mm. because we found, for example, that the motivation of parents to do that are so different are, and sometimes are so strong because some parents even um, do help children to fall asleep because they experience uh, trauma in their childhood with the sleep and they are still uh, in fear when the when it's the evening and they don't want their children to fall asleep alone because they don't want their children to experience the same fear. So it's very strong and it's even helping them, the parents, to cure from their childhood experiences. And also some of the parents um, mentioned that Uspavani uh, it's important for them because they have these uh, positive experiences as I have from my from my childhood so they want to pass these memories to their children and what was very uh, interesting for me was that some parents even mentioned that it was great the way how to calm down for them for parents and to relax because uh, as a parent, you find very fast that if you are stressed or if you are nervous, you cannot help your child to calm down. So first you have to work with yourself, with your own calmness in your mind, and then you can guide your child. So um, this uspavani um, and this uh, presence and helping children to fall asleep may help families to find new rituals, which help them even in, in um very busy schedule during the day and uh, sometimes people ask me if I think that it's uh, it's something what even families who don't have this long uh, maternity paid maternity leave can do that they can do and I say that definitely because as I said it can be relaxing for parents I imagine that uh, this helping children to fall asleep may help parents who are um, in the job for the whole day and the child is in kindergarten, they can reconnect in the evening and then can bond in the evening and they can find out um, what are the feelings of the child from the day because when they're getting older and they can express themselves and emotions and experiences, evening is a time when the children are very sensitive and want to talk about it. And they usually don't want to talk about it right after the kindergarten, how was the day. But in the evening when everything is slow and everything is quiet, they just open more. So this uspavani can be the way how to find out if the child is okay uh, mentally, if the child needs some support from us or need to explain something what uh, the child doesn't uh, understand. So I think that it can be beneficial even in the societies where the parents need to work from um, one year of the child age or mm -hmm. have to go back to work earlier than in here in the Czech Republic. Yeah, that's why I think it's so interesting to have a three-year maternity um, leave because, you know, three years, but, you know, that is uh, that is infancy, isn't it? And that's, a, uh, and I think... Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a busy working parent myself, and 
it can, the evenings can feel very rushed you know especially here in the UK we have a very Victorian attitude to working hours and especially in London you know lots of um myself my friends you know work lo- work long days and um and for me certainly actually the evening I really I suppose we are in a, Sp- a Spanavi household I suppose that's a really mm-hmm. important part of of our family life I suppose is is that time and um and I think it's a it's a shame really then that that for many people can come with a sense of guilt or that that it's wrong mm-hmm. somehow wrong or that they're, mm-hmm. yeah that it's a weakness to, mm-hmm. to to make to carve out that time as well yes uh, I feel the same because I think that it's very beneficial for our sleep in the future as an adult to learn from the our parents which we uh, trust um, the different practices how to work with the stress and with the emotions and uspavani may help with this so um children may learn that if they have a lot of thoughts in their head they can read the book or they can snuggle with someone and also um in our societies <laughs> we're really struggling with mental health and um sometimes the problem is that we don't know how to ask for the help and all the uspavani because the main point or the main difference of the uspavani and the fall asleep alone even though the child needs us and but we don't want to help the child to fall asleep even though the child cry and anything um so uspavani is the, about the connection and cooperation during the evening and it uh, spread the idea that if I don't feel good, I can always ask for help. And I think that it's important for adulthood also to know that I can ask for help if I need it. And um, so uh, actually, I don't know from where it came, this independency, because for humans, it's so normal not to be alone and independent. It's so normal to cooperate with others, to be in touch with others, to sleep in the room where are others. Mm. And uh, and now it seems like the only way how to sleep right is alone in, in a dark room and without any noise. And actually it's very uncommon for humans mm. best to sleep yeah. like this. It is. But I also, I suppose I understand because I, something I've been actually working with clients on a lot this right now, because we're recording this, it's midsummer in Europe. So we've got these really light, long evenings and I work with a lot of toddlers and there's a lot of long bedtimes and difficult bedtimes, partly I think due to the light and the how, you know, we are all in the summer and our long working days here in the UK and the child and the parents need that connection time, but the parents also desperately and understandably craving some time for themselves as well because when you've had a really long day at work and then you've got the evening routine and food and life and we're all you know counting down to bedtime when we as adults then get some time for ourselves and I suppose there can be this um conflict you know and I think people can then feel guilty about wanting a quick easy bedtime or wanting to be able to close the door and leave the child and know that they'll they'll be happy and safe in that room so it it is it is difficult isn't it I think it's just 
our life, like you were saying earlier, our lives don't necessarily support what is natural and what is. Yeah. Yes, it's, it is because we have different environments now than we had before and we have to cope with that. And the problem is not about the parents. The problem is about the society that we don't have enough support as a parents, as a working parents as well, that we really miss these communities of other parents who have the same attitudes and to share the thoughts and Sometimes it's enough just to speak with someone. It, it's an, another thing, interesting um, thing which I find, found in my focus group when I asked uh, parents what was the most important advice they got when they really felt bad and they really struggled. And they said it wasn't advice. It was the, the possibility to share that they don't feel good or they have this pressure or they... Uh, uh, needed to uh, talk to someone who experienced the same and just by saying that it was so helpful for them and was so big really that they got new energy to work with the, some sleep challenges or to work better <laughs> uh, with the um, bedtime struggling and anything so i i really think we we miss these communities and uh, meeting with other people because our lifestyle is now more about the work and only work and then the family things around and we have no time for meeting with other people talking to them and this is the problem and also as i said uh the support that sometimes I think that parents are invisible for the society yeah <laughs> I mean parents with it, small children yeah definitely that's I mean that's basically why I make this podcast actually so that people can just hear other voices of saying yes my child takes a long time to fall asleep at night and I support them and that's our normal and that's who my child is and they're sensitive and actually they need to talk about their feelings at that time and that's where we're at right now and that is not a pathological situation for us <laughs> um uh and there's some inter- I've read some really interesting like research like sleep training studies as well that have found that that one of the most successful sleep interventions is actually talking about, talking it. about it which I think yes. is, makes so much sense but um yeah um and I suppose these things only get more intense for parents, don't they? As we are all more disconnected and spend more time behind screens and yeah, less less time in person. Yes, this is really challenging. And yeah, we cannot sort it out <laughs> in, yeah. in our sleep research, but we can discuss about it that these are influences which really influence not only children's sleep, but also parents' sleep also a big issue is sometimes child fall asleep easily or sleep through the night already or just wakes one two times but the parent have a problem with the sleep because of the stress they are facing and everything to man- manage everything in the family and to work at the same time and to follow this strict bedtime ritual and schedule and everything and they struggle with falling into sleep and with sleep as well Yes, definitely. I've been there myself. <laughs> so, so you do a lot of work with toddlers as well, don't you? Like that's a big part of your your research. I suppose yeah, Spinavi changes a lot. I suppose from infant like early infancy into the toddler stage, and it can it, evolve. And what what kind of led you to 
to work on toddler sleep specifically so much what what interested you there Mm -hmm. because it's very interesting um, part of children's life because it's very sensitive period Uh, sometimes it's called transitional one from infancy to childhood and uh, in the society we we think or the main idea is that the children should be independent now because they can walk and they start to talk and everything but actually (laughs) it can be even more difficult because they are trying to enter to the society and they absorb so many new things from the world and also they are learning about the um, emotions and how to process them and and um, they learn this from us from the parents and sometimes it's so difficult for them to calm down after so busy day with so many different new emotions so uh, we as a parent trying to help them but many of us there we don't have this um, training in emotions as well because as a child we we were we didn't uh, have the parents who explain us and this is this is great about uh, these days that we speak more about emotion than processing emotions and everything so we can have and we can um, have new information and we can pass it to the ch- to our child to our children and I think that they will be better in it when they will be parents because they will be masters in emotions and we as a parents just learn that with them <laughs> together how to calm down in the evening after the busy day and how to how to balance uh, the um, um, busy schedule with the calmness in the evening and everything and uh, also it's a period when um, the parents are more self-confident with their uh, um, sleep approaches and it's very interesting to hear from them what uh, how they feel now with the toddler sleep and about their motivations and about uspavan and practices and how these practices change during this period and how the children grown from uh, I don't know how to cal- calm down to oh mom I need this and that if you help me and to be more and more independent because we we show them so many different activities which may help them so it's for me it's very interesting period even though it's very challenging sometimes for many parents (laughs) yeah of course well I was going to ask actually if someone was listening to this and they have a a child who is actually quite happy to fall asleep alone you know like you have a really lovely bedtime routine and then they you kiss them good night and they say you could go now and they just like to sort of lay in their space and they're happy what like what would you say to that person who might suddenly be thinking yes. oh no am I yeah. am I savaging them because I don't it is it, mm-hmm. it's good that you ask yeah I don't think that we should push children to uspavan even though the child does need it it's okay because uh it it's still uh very beneficial for the child that we spend evening uh, dinner together talk together and have rituals before and as i said the children are different so they have different needs some of them are very sensitive some of them need a close touch some of them need a space when they fall asleep and some of them and they even uh change in the uh, in the in their life like sometimes 
I experienced infants who are sleeping only on the chest of the mothers, but when they grow, they want more space, they don't need it anymore. Or sometimes I also meet parents who explain that their child fall asleep alone for 12 months, but after the year or um, eight, in 18 months, they change and they really need them to help them to fall asleep. And it's also quite normal because it can come, even though they, they seem to be independent from the really beginning, they don't need us. The challenge of the new emotions um, can change their um, perception of sleep and safeness and they need uh, this uh, uh, reassurance from us that everything is okay and they can still feel safe so uh, if your child or there is a mother whose child doesn't need to help to fuss if it's okay yeah. for them <laughs> and uh, uh, from my point of view it's important to follow what works in your family and my uh, and the important idea of this spavani research and everything is um, to have the choice to be able to choose the right practice which works for me and for my child and I would love I don't do that because I want uh, parents who don't do spavan to feel shame <laughs> I do that because I want for parents to feel free to choose and if they feel that this is right for them not to not feel guilt that they help child to, two, three, four years old child to fall asleep and be there with them and not feel guilt for it, but to have this separate. It's okay also. It's fine that your child is sensitive. It's fine that your five-year-old needs you to explain the things before they close your uh, they close their eyes. And doesn't mean that they will not grow to independent adults. It's fine. It can be the period which is very important for them, this support from you. And it can change very fast when you do that, when you help them and you can uh, realize very important things about the, the child and about their child problem and which you may address and help them to go through. So I hope that the parents will not feel ashamed that they don't do it. <laughs> take it as it is that uh, we need to have these options and to choose um, for the family and for the child what we need or what the child needs and follow without judgmental fear. I don't know about you, but I have a I have a quite a clear memory actually of suddenly starting to tell my mother to leave the room when it was at bedtime because I I I, I don't know how old I would have been, but I certainly at a point where I really enjoyed my imagination and daydreaming and thinking and having that time for myself. And um it's it's inevitable, I suppose, isn't it, that, that independence will just come at some point. I just remember feeling like, no, you you just you could go now. I <laughs> yes, and I think that when parents um, are overwhelmed by the information about sleep around them, and they just switch off the information and just try to turn again to the child, they can feel when is the right time for this these big ch changes in their lifestyle family. I also have the daughters, ten and six year old, and they uh, we co-sleep better. I breastfed them, both of them, three years, and they are sleeping now in their own rooms because they wanted it. I was, <laughs> I, I had a problem with that. that they, <laughs> they want to sleep uh, not together in one room. They want each one room. So they wanted to have their own space. And I thought that they will be, 
want to be together, but no, they want to be now they are in Peru, they want to have this independent lifestyle. And by themselves, I didn't push them or anything. But uh, I didn't, I didn't push them, but I didn't even say to them, no, it's not the time for you to be independent. I just let them to do what they feel is right for them. And I think because um, when the parent is tuned to the ch child, that uh, parent can feel that right time for change and can support and help them. And the child then can feel more confident. So I can say that from my first child, now turned 11 she was very very sensitive child so for reassuring of the mothers who have the infant who sleeps only on their chest they will grow and <laughs> they yeah. really well and it goes so fast i well if you uh, call me 10 years ago and you say to me that your daughter will be sleeping alone and she would want to fall asleep alone by reading book and she'll be independent i would say no way <laughs> not my daughter no. yeah she needs me so much she will always stay with me because I can't even put her down to bed because she wants to feel me all the time but she 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 grown and they will grow from this intensive um, need of the parent and the physical touch even though they are very sensitive and I think because you are someone who knows so much about sleep <laughs> obviously it's your it's your it's your life's work and, and you have uh, you know you're an academic so an anthropologist so I think a big big fear that people have is that that they will make their child dependent on them especially if they co-sleep beyond early infancy so if you are bed sharing with a three four five even six year old or older is could you re like reassure some people I, I know you have just shared your own experience mm -hmm. but from a from an even bigger academic point yeah. of view <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we don't have uh, a lot, but we have some research. And we have, for example, one very interesting research, longitudinal research, when the researchers followed um, children's sleep for 18 years and they compare co-sleepers and no co-sleepers. And they found that there is no any, they didn't find any negative evidence of some psychological behavior problems of co-sleeping children in this 18 years period. So it was completely fine. And the co-sleeping um, didn't uh, cause any behavior of psychical um, problems or independency problems. They didn't find this in the research. And the other thing is when we uh, think logically, about human sleep and about evolutionary point of view. It's normal for humans to sleep in the room with other people and it doesn't make them um, unable to live in the society. It's just a normal practice for humans to feel safe during the night. And also when we think um, the, the time or the period when we sleep alone in the room is very short compared to the life because when we are babies we sleep in the room with the parents when we are in the school uh, we sometimes have to sleep with the schoolmates then we sleep uh, in the room with our partner husband so it, also as adults we sleep with other people in a room and it's more prevalent than sleeping alone in times of the years so the parent doesn't need to be worried about the uh, harm if they sleep in one room. And also um, 
there is different um, family lifestyles and different um, contexts of the families. And some families even don't have the space for room for each child. And these children just grown completely fine, even though five children were sleeping in one room and they're still okay. What is interesting is that, for example, the research from Bali, where it's normal and common uh, sleep with other people in the same room, found that uh, they are very great sleepers. They can sleep in very noisy environments because of this, that they are used to it. And also when I talk to adults, parents who have um, uh, more siblings, for example, who have three, four, five siblings, they also mention the same, that they are so used to the noise of others that they are very good sleepers now as an adult and as in parents because they used to it from their childhood to sleep in the same room with other people and they just uh, um, learn how to do how to do it and how to fall asleep in in noisy environment. So that's completely fine. And it's fine also um, when you feel that you want uh, change and you want to try different strategy for your older children and or you want to move your child to their own room with the siblings. Actually, it works better from from the research. What I found, it works better for parents if they put uh, siblings together to their room, like they sleep uh, as a siblings in one room at the beginning. So they have these uh, beginnings of uh, sleeping alone without parents, but with a sibling, with someone else, and they uh, still have this uh, uh, feel of security. And then they are, when they're older, they ask for more independency and and so on so yeah it's okay and we didn't find any evidence about any harmful consequences of uh, co-sleeping or bed sharing with toddlers and school aged uh, or preschoolers that's just really good to hear because I think yeah just from an expert uh, you know <laughs> it's really reassuring because there is just this I think everyone in the UK has these like people they know where they say well you know my cousin's best friend slept with her child and then yes. now she's got them and yes. so you just you can even if you really feel confident in your choices these little narratives creep into your uh -huh. decision making uh -huh. sometimes we have the same in here yeah uh we have the same um information on parents of also ask me in here like my my friend's friend told me that his friend child <laughs> has is uh, twelve years old and still needs parents. But then I always answer, we don't know anything about this child. We don't know anything about the situation in the family. We don't know what is the, temper the temperament of the child, what um, is the family problems, for example, and what the child needs and what uh, what is going on there. There is so many individual things which can influence the behavior of the child or his ability to be independent later on in their life. So we cannot just uh, judge from the story which we don't know the context of. Because sometimes when... Um, parents ask me about children who are, for example, 12 or 14 and sleep in their, um, in their bedroom with them. Um, 
I don't have a lot of parents to ask about it, but mostly when they ask me, it's um, it's the child who has some uh, um, challenging in their life. For example, in the school, there is a big stress or the parents are divorced and there is always something going on when the child really needs the support from the parents to feel secure in the night because they feel stressful. And it's also, and again, about the emotions and the sleep because it's so linked together that they really need to, uh, to sort out some problems. Or sometimes um, they already sleep in their own room, but around five, between five to eight years, they try to, um, are there all, all, again coming into the parents bedroom or parents bed and uh, in this in this period it's mostly about the bad dreams because in this age there is a usually very often prevalence of the bad dreams and they are uh, and it's difficult for them to process it and they need to know that we are somewhere there they can come they feel the fear or it can navigate us as parents it's something new is going on in their development and we can ask about it during the day or we can try to find out if there is any stress in the school which we may which we may help them with so it depends and it's always important to ask for the context not to just uh, mm, panic or feel stressed because someone's child do this and that, but always ask, um, what is the child's life? What is the family of the child? And I want to, if if I want to judge because of the um, story of someone, I need to know more about the story. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, well, I just, I found talking to you just so interesting and uh, reassuring and, um yeah what an amazing insight you have as a, as a as an anthropologist looking at all all these different practices um yeah I, I I'm sure people listening to this will just feel so much yeah relief hearing how normal things are all over the world and that yeah that that they're not doing it wrong essentially by by doing what's right for their family I hope so I hope that it will help because I really I really feel sad that when I hear that parents feel guilt to take the infant to the chest or to hold the infant and they feel like the child needs it and they even the parents feel good when they have the infant on their chest, for example, but they feel so big guilt that they shouldn't do that. And I really would love to change that in the, in our culture, that they will be said by authority that it's okay that the child and the sleep is more um, physical and sensual um, activity than material that we need more physical touch and more um, and we more uh, and we are more connection um, humans as uh, we need to uh, beds, cots and everything and it's normal that child needs to process emotion through the parents and it's okay that we help them and it's okay because they're immature and when they mature and they will be ready they will signal it and we will know it and we can support them 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's so beautifully put. Thank you, Lenka. And yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, thank you for all the work you're doing. It's yeah, it's it's a very important, <laughs> but it, I think it's uh, really helping to change the narrative. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here to talk about the spa. Mm-hmm.